You're listening to the Irish Times. Last Monday morning in June, uh, Gavin Coniskey, you were here with me. Eamon Donoghue, you were here with me, me being Malachy Clerken on the Out of Time podcast. And we have a qualifier draw, Gavin. We do indeed. Uh, Mayo Armagh, Kildare v Tyrone, Westmead v Clare and Leash v Offaly. This has this is made up the most of your morning's work, Eamon, uh, writing out these four fixtures, I'd say, and putting them on the website. Exactly. That's the long exactly. and short of what you've done since you came in today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Doesn't so, bode well for the Super 8s, does it? <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, it's great news for the provincial losing finalists. Um, Explain it, that. Well, it really opens it up for them because, obviously, the winner of two of those, the, the winners of these these four games will play the losers of the four mm-hmm. provincial finalists in round four to decide who goes into the Super 8s. So two of those games are Leash versus Offaly and Westmead versus Clare. Which, Other way around. Yeah, but yeah. basically yeah. it means that the provincial finalist is going to be facing you know, Clare, who are a Division 2 team, and three Division 3 teams to, yeah. to reach a reach, reach the Super 8s. Yeah. So Galway's run in for the Super 8s could have been beating London, beating Sligo, losing to Roscommon and beating Westmeath or Leash. Mm. You know, and then on the other hand you have Kildare who have already played Dublin and now they're going to have to play Tyrone to even get into round four. Like yeah. so it's <laughs> it's just very lopsided. But for the provincial losing finalists it's it's uh it's very good. But then it's it makes for for quite the Saturday night this uh this weekend. So yeah. like uh Presumably, Kildare Tyrone will be in in Newbridge, unless we have another row about that this week. Yeah, on the radio, they kind of they mentioned, and McGill was Virgo McGill was there, and he didn't give <coughs> he any objections. So, um, <laughs> I Tyrone do bring a good crowd, but uh, well, sure I think they Newbridge should be able to host and it. And Mayo and Armagh will be in Castlebar. Yeah, that's funny one. The last time they met in Championship was 1950, and right? Mayo won the All Ireland that year. All right, so okay. So they're so going to win the All Ireland this year, basically. It's all the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the game, though, isn't it? Mayo Armagh because Armagh looked pretty tidy putting Monaghan yeah. away, didn't they? And it'll suit Armagh will suit playing against Mayo because Mayo are pretty open. Yeah. So um, mm. that that'll be an amazing game. That'll it should be, be. yeah, yeah. Game. Like Mayo, Mayo and Roscommon was more or less the game of the qualifiers last year yeah. at pretty much the same stage, wasn't it? At, it was more or less the same. That stage, was round it? four, yeah. So just one four, after. Yeah, yeah. But the the funny thing is, if you're looking at say that that Galway route, um, like Galway obviously have have a bit more about them at this stage of their of their development. But if you look at last year, Roscommon played Leitrim. Bet Leitrim lost kind of final and played Armagh, mm. got to Super 8 and then just got annihilated by That's everyone. True, yeah, yeah. So like, it's there a lot are, of excitement, but is it much use to you down the line if you it, get an absolute you, hammerance? Well, Roscommon yeah, came back, saying, and, won, Roscommon came back not, and, yeah. and won the Connacht title. Like, yeah. So you didn't do too badly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't sound great for the Super 8s. Listen, one team that will definitely be in the Super 8s will be Donegal, uh, having won the Ulster final yesterday and Keith Duggan was there and he's with us now. How are you, Keith? I'm well, thanks, Malky. Yourself? Uh, very good, very good. I got Donegal were right impressive now yesterday. Uh, there's, there's, there's no real, uh, there's no real talking them down at this stage. No, and in fairness, I don't think they were particularly interested in talking themselves down. Mm. They're, um, yeah, they're in a really good place. They're playing with a lot of confidence. They're enjoying, enjoying their football. Um, as you said, they just they, they dominated yesterday from from beginning to end. Very strange game in the sense that. 
it was just so open. It was so end to end. Scores, just it was it was a litany of scores, uh, which is not what you uh, traditionally expect from from Ulster finals. I'm surprised. Surprised the people didn't. Very, surprised the people you know, didn't walk out, Keith. There was a little bit of that. Ulster yeah, final, yeah, yeah. It was all it was all very polite and civil, classy. <laughs> What's going on here? Well, I tell you one thing that that did surprise me a little bit about Cavan, uh, and we'll talk, we'll get on to Donegal in more depth in a minute. But um, I thought Cavan were maybe a, maybe a little bit kind of caught in the headlights or whatever. But there was one incident that that really kind of kind of stunned me about Cavan. It was the time that Michael Murphy jumped into the goalkeeper and and buried him and got a yellow card for his trouble. Uh, there was no Cavan player came in to rough him up. After uh, uh, which, would you try and rough Michael Murphy up? <laughs> oh, I think if he was after busting me goalkeeper, I think I'd at least uh, do a hold me back kind of thing, or uh, an eye gouge, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah, well, for, for starters, as I recall, there, there wasn't actually that many cabin players in his vicinity, hmm. so you know, um, the issue had been kind of dealt with by the time, but yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe if you're saying that they were quite that they were quite accepting or that they allowed themselves to be bullied yeah. um maybe a little look i don't know that they were caught in the headlights they, they they set out a certain way they maybe hoped that the game would be a little bit more slow burning and tentative and they set up quite defensively and maybe just wanted to try and play it away into the occasion and the final and instead they very quickly found themselves sort of five six points down uh donegal just very very patient very slick in their ball movement you know, find the right, open up the spaces and then just took the opportunities. Um, you, you know, they just played like a team in control. Um, and after that, Calvin had to, they had to respond. I thought in fairness, you know, they did respond. It was very odd that a team can can ship 210, 211, sorry, in one half of football and still you feel that not really a glove has been laid on them, you know. They... Cavan changed their entire full forward line before the throw-in. Connor Madden came on and made a big impact. Mackey, I suppose he hadn't been starting the games before that, but he did come on and make a big impact. Do you think that the way that they started was wrong? Well, I mean, exactly, Eamon. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 easy to say it's wrong now. It just it it didn't work out for them. It was it was a it was the way that that. Mickey Graham decided to go. Um, maybe he second guessed the idea of just being gung ho, and 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 and, and kind of j- just going from it from the get go. Um, they had a couple of opportunities themselves uh, in that first fifteen sort of to twenty minute period that they that they didn't take. Um, and then after that, they became they just sort of became increasingly isolated. Like even the scores that they did get in that first half, they were kind of good shots to nothing if you know what I mean that they were they were they were basically finding themselves kind of running in ones at, at Donegal and, and, and having a pop um so yeah it didn't it didn't really work out there's no doubt that that when Mackey came in and also Stephen Murray they just they just got a wee bit of kind of turbo trust from those guys just ran at Donegal a little bit more directly and got the ball into McKiernan and you know he, he he had a terrific game he really hauled sort of Calvin back into it on the scoreboard and Darren McBeady started to come alive as well. So maybe they'll have regrets that they just weren't, I don't want to say they were untrue to themselves in the way they set up, but maybe it just didn't suit their nature this season to to try and uh, sort of strategize their way into the game as opposed to just go play it. I'm watching the first half in particular. 
I'm interested to to know how strong was was the uh, the wind. It looked like Cavan took a good, good few shots to drop short, kind of seemed to literally get caught in the wind. But then in the second half, Donegal were still shooting from distance and getting their scores. So was it a case of just bad shooting, or was there a, a strong wind that kind of died down? Yeah, there seemed. I was kind of wondering that myself in the first half. There certainly was a bit of a breeze favouring Donegal, but I don't think it was all that significant. I mean, Malagi know this like Clonus is sort of fairly well protected mm. in that regard anyway it's kind of like it's a little sunken bowl of a place so um, no I don't think that was that was a huge factor uh, Let's talk a bit about Donegal uh, Keith um, like they have God they have all the elements like if you go from start to finish like um this keeper is he's new on me I guess he's new to everybody that hasn't been watching League of Ireland but like God, his kickouts are a serious weapon. They really are, and they were spectacular yesterday. And mm. the funny thing is, we're watching uh, we're watching his reserve warm up, and his reserve, of course, is uh, is Paul Durkin. Yeah, not it's not a good, <laughs> not a bad guy to have uh, to have as your training partner either. Mm. But no, his, his his kickouts are phenomenal, and they're going to it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, once they once they once they go to Crow Park with them. Um, I think Crow Park is going to suit this Donegal team. They thrive on mm. space. They mm. really thrive on space now, and they've got they've got so many comfortable ball carriers, and their their kind of their close quarter interplay has be, has really really improved. You know, just 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 the sort of quick quick sort of quick hand passes. You know, at at, at close quarters, uh, really really troubled uh, Cavan yesterday, and it's just going to be. It's going to be interesting to see what they can do with that now that they're really starting to find the younger players are starting to find their feet. Um, they're they're defensively they look very well set up. Um, Hugh McFadden's having an extraordinary season uh, at midfield for the man dropping back as a kind of a you know a sweeper as well when needs be. Um, yeah, I mean it's you, look, Cavan are a team that are that are you know they didn't have the happiest uh, of leagues and. They sort of had a good season in in Ulster, so Dick Donegal are, yeah, I mean they're clearly the best team in Ulster at the moment. Um, whether or not they can take that on to the le- next level remains to be seen. And where are the weaknesses for them? Um, I don't. They, they, I mean, maybe look, they did, they did, they did, they did cough up a lot of scores in the second half. Uh, Yesterday, someone said to me, someone from Donegal, God, if, if Calvin can score 211 in a half against them, what will Dublin do? Mm. And I was thinking about that, and the the answer is probably not much more, you yes. know? <laughs> uh, not much more, yeah. and, and possibly not that. I'm not sure that, like, I think Donegal were sort of in, in cruise control uh, throughout that second half. They had umpteen, they, well, they had at least four very good goal opportunities which they declined to take on they just just tapped the ball over the bar hand pass it over the bar fist it over the bar um, their you know their scoring potential is is enormous and it was sort of I'd say it must have been a relief for them that they that they hit 124 yesterday because they probably should have had something like that against Tyrone as well mm. um, and they probably need to be thinking in terms of those numbers if they want to um, do something historic this year. Um, Eamon, Saturday night you watched all of Cork and Kerry. You were uh, live blogging it, I take it, were you? Um, yeah. It was um, a different game than than 
than we all expected or that we all predicted. Um, it was like you got to come away from it thinking, wow, I'd, at least Cork are up off the canvas now. Whether they're going to get back to actually landing punches is a different story, but they're they're on their feet again. Yeah, yeah. I think Cork's problem isn't talent or quality of players. It obviously seems to be something in terms of their culture and the setup that they've had the last few years. But they, they went man for man with Kerry mm. and they really did challenge them. And it meant that they got punished for any slip up or any kind of um, overlap because there, there was complete open spaces. But um, yeah, like they, the referee was very in, much in Kerry's favour, like massively. Like, and the stats kind of proved that afterwards. I don't think Cork, even with that, would have won the game. But it was it was competitive final and we haven't had that in a long time. So how I, saw, they, I saw a lot of Cork giving out about the referee. Uh, was it justified? Pen, there were some penalty calls, um, but it was just yeah, like a lot of fifty-fifty stuff, and it was it was kind of the game was end to end, so you'd have like a call that was fifty-fifty. It could have went any any way, right. and it would go in Kerry's favour on one side, and then the complete same, the exact same thing would happen on the other side, and it would again go in Kerry's favour. So um, yeah, I think that was a factor, but for Cork. Their midfield is very impressive. Mm. Ian Maguire went toe-to-toe with David Moran and they came out completely 50-50. Like, mm. the two of them completely cancelled each other out. O'Hanlon midfield is a serious operator. He's all over the field. Rory Dean compliments that. He plays basically as a third midfielder. And the thing about Cork is they went back to Cork football, which is they carried everything. Yes. Like, everything was carried. It was like, uh, you know, the 2010 team. Everything was through the hands. But that meant they were just exhausted. Like, because... Yeah. Kerry could get the ball and three kicks into Clifford, score, and yeah. then everything Cork had to do had to be get the ball to Dean, he'd take somebody on, take somebody on, hand pass it, and they get their scores as well, but everything was more difficult. So yeah. it was Kerry working against Cork working, you know, one was effortless and one required a lot of um a lot of running and a lot of yeah. a lot of effort. So. But is it is it a case of if you say enough bad things, like the Clare Herders, if you say enough bad things about them, you're going to get a reactionary performance? Is that so we're staying? Or they probably are the best r- provincial runner up, but really, yeah. when you dig in a little bit deeper, like how how good or c- how much of a challenger will Cork be in the Super Eights? I think if they get to Super Eights, they'll be a challenger. Mm-hmm. I'd be worried about them now in the in this qualifier and just their mentality and how they they bounce back. But if they get through to the Super Eights, I think they'll grow in confidence. Like if you look at Cork, these players they've they've all won loads of under twenty ones, they've all mm. won Sigersons. And even if you look at the the minors that Kerry won, they in each of those I think four of those monster winning campaigns, they only bet Cork by a point. A point or two points, yeah. You know, yeah, so these are all good footballers yeah. like. But the big problem is that with them that they've had no the leaders have all gone and there's no kind of in between. So there's there's they're really lacking leaders in the dressing room to kind of set standards. Mm. Um and so Ian Maguire is a captain and these lads are coming so it's just a very hard turnover it just didn't do them any favours mm. and there's obviously been some other problems there I was reading a, a piece with uh, Donnick O'Connor over the weekend and he was kind of just talking about just cultural problems in the dressing room and right. how he regretted not saying stuff while he was in there before it kind of became a, a major problem so but by looking at them just as a team they are they are definitely very strong and in, in the Super 8s they could be they could be competitive, yeah. Keith, what did you make of Kerry on the flip side? Um, I didn't. I didn't think it was a good performance by Kerry. I'd say, um, I'd say there was alarm bells going off from quite early on. I felt even when they were dominating on the scoreboard in that match, they didn't look entirely comfortable. And it, it you know, there was just little moments when it was obvious that they were they were there to be 
to 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 be got at. Um, it's 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 hard to know. It's hard to know what Curry are going to do in terms of um setting up some sort of defensive structure that's mm-hmm. going to bring them forward in the in in the All Ireland. I mean, if you look at Dublin, I mean, there's there's an argument to be made now that that, that Dublin are the most defensive team. Yeah. Uh, in the country, yeah. um, which is a complete flip from the original philosophy, mm. which they uh, which they set about uh, playing with. Um, so I feel Kerry and indeed Cork need to be a little bit more pragmatic. I think you know it was a really really heartening evening for Cork football, in the sense that they they were able to compete against a county that's been tipped as you know potential All Ireland candidates, and. If they can just, that is their game, you know, r- running at teams, playing open football, that is their game. But they just, they're just going to have to be a little bit cuter, and that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be all that difficult for Cork to 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 come hmm. up with a little bit of cuteness. Um, but no, Kerry, everyone knows what they can do once the ball goes into the final third of the field. But they're really going to have to look at the the other two thirds of the field if they're if they're going to have a say later later this uh, later this year. Keith, a good one I want to put to you is just to make sure the Super 8s aren't a flop, what teams need to kind of qualify in the sense like do Mayo and Tyrone, they must win next weekend for the championship to be like ultra competitive or who else? Cork, obviously. Like we, nobody wants to see Mead in the Super Eights at this stage. <laughs> sorry, time, sorry, guys, I, I couldn't hear that, Gav, properly. I was just saying, who do you who do you want to see in the Super 8s um, next season? Or so who do you want to see qualify for the Super 8s as in... Must uh, must Mayo and and Tyrone come through the qualifiers this Saturday? Well, I mean, if they're if they're if they're good enough to get through their their respective games, um, I think they can they can bring a lot to the competition. I would expect Tyrone to uh, benefit from the Super Eights. Um, I think they're probably uh, they have a little bit of a bee in their bonnet. I'd imagine about how they set up in Breffney Park that night against uh, against Donegal. And I'd say they feel that they've uh, a fair bit to, uh, of, of 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 atonement to do. So they've got a very very tough assignment just to just to keep their summer going. Now, if they can get through that, then yeah, I think that they can um, sort of reinvent themselves. And look, they've done that repeatedly uh, through through the sort of back door through the qualifiers over the years. Um, Mayo, I mean, sure, Mayo, you, you just don't know until they. Until they turn up in Crow Park, you know, kind of bust up and, and wrecked and seemingly done. And then <laughs> they just kind of explode, you know. So, again, that's going to be a riveting uh, qualifier game um, against Armagh. Um, I think they just might get through it. But, uh, you know, remains to be seen what kind of state that they're in once they once they do make it. Well, there we go. We managed to get through all the football without talking about the Leinster final and uh, we will leave it at that. Or Monaghan. Or Monaghan, far more importantly. Uh, Keith and Eamon, thanks a million. We'll talk to you again. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Philip Reid is in with us. Uh, And before we get to the golf, you were indeed at Croke Park yesterday. I get your assessment, please, of the Leinster (laughs) football final. I was there with the kids in the Davin stand and... uh, we weren't put on tender hooks, put it that way. God know. love your poor kids. They've never seen the bad times of Dublin. You know, my first ever time in Crow Park was 1991, Dublin Mead, and it was a draw, and I was hooked for life. Is it not really, it might go the other way now, would it? There's, for kids uh, going to see that game for the first time. 
I don't think so. When you have a winning team, they still want to go, Gavin. You know, they're missing out on all the excitement, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> like, they always come out with a smile on their face. So, uh, what can I say about that? They're, they're not crying about Dublin's funding issues. I'm talking about the Mead children. <laughs> <laughs> well, their mother is from Mead and there, there wasn't even much sympathy coming that way. So. Uh, your working week uh, was out in Port Marnock and uh, an incredible feat for young James Sugru from Mallow. It was a remarkable feat, but it was a great championship all yeah. week. It was we were going back to old school golf. Yeah. You had fair uh, you know, you had, the spectators were following these guys on the fairway. Mm. So they're up close and they're personal and they they see a lot more and it's, it's it was actually it was far more satisfying to see it than a lot of the professional yeah. games where like you're either behind ropes or you're told in a press tent <laughs> or you're in the press tent or you're, if you're walking the fairways you're actually walking just an arm's length mm. inside the ropes you know so here you were right up right behind them you're up on the dunes you were everywhere with them and, and it was it was great golf and I must say uh, James Ugru himself even at the start of the week couldn't have expected that yeah. he was going to do what he was going to do and so just he explain. was brilliant yeah, just explain, because this sort of, I must say, admit to my shame, this sort of crept up on me over the weekend. Um, so how come a how come the British Amateur Championship is in Port Marnock, first off? Well, it was awarded to Port Marnock. It, it held it before, once before. But it, in 1949, it, it was awarded by the RNA who run the championship to Port Marnock before the RNA adopted a policy of not giving any championships to men-only clubs. Mm. And obviously, Port Marnock is a men-only club. So they stuck with that commitment, but have basically said, that's it, unless your policy changes. And as it happens, there is a review currently mm. underway. So the chances are that the policy will change. Is is the British amateur often played on, on Irish courses? This is only the second time ever wow. uh, that it's been played in the Republic of Ireland. It's been played up in Royal County Town and in Royal Portrush as well. So... It was staged in Port Marnock in 1949 and again this year. Well, so, so, sorry, for the, the Port Marnock turkeys will vote for Christmas then, do you think, when it, they get the opportunity to make it a gender balance? Well, I think what last week actually showed, like just going away from Sugru's achievement, is what a fantastic golf course Port Marnock is. Mm. And it deserves to be holding the biggest events because it is that good. Like It's up there with Muirfield, I think, as the two best golf courses Obviously, Port Marnock is not on that British Open rota, but it's it's up there with uh, Muirfield, and it's 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 better than Sandwich, it's better than Lidham, and it's better than Royal Birkdale, in my opinion. Mm. You know, and obviously, we're going to see what Port Rush is going to deliver, which is going to be a great championship next month. But if anyone, if you remember Port Marnock and you see the crowds that were there and what it delivered, because it set a standard for the British amateur. Like last year in Royal Aberdeen, I understand, it was less than 200 people at the final when Robin wow, Dawson really? was beaten in the final. Whereas uh, on Friday and again on Saturday, there were well over 3,000 each day, you know, and they're following one match only on Saturday. So you can imagine the crowd's denies and uh, the tension that was there because it was a terrific final. So before we get into the particulars of, of how he did it over the course of the week, and that's a story in itself, mm-hmm. Tell us about James Sugru. Well, James Sugru is one of these guys that seem to be coming off the GUI conveyor belt. Yeah. Like there's a whole there's a whole string of them. And you look at him and he, he could be playing midfield for Cork football. Like he's six foot two and he's built and he's fit. And he, apparently he was a very good GAA player. Mm. And uh, 
there's a whole, there's a lot of them, you know. At the start of the week, our eyes would have been on Conor Purcell. I think there was a lot of pressure on him as the hometown boy. Mm. Uh, if he'd got to the match play, at, if he'd qualified for the match play, which he didn't, he didn't come out of stroke play, uh, you would have said, you know, he, he, he will be the man to beat. There's another guy, Caelan Rafferty from Dundalk. There's, there's a string of these guys and they're all very good and they're all young and they're all guys who've grown up in Irish golf where there's no fear factor anymore, mm. you know. So uh, do you know that Irish players can win these biggest of championships? And in the British Amateur last year in Royal Aberdeen, there were actually three Irish guys in the semi-finals. So three out of four, and unfortunately for them, it was the South African the nephew of Ernie Els who went on to win it. Mm. But uh, that's that's the lineage that James Sugru now is, uh, is following. You know, he's uh, into the US Masters, He's into the US Open at Wingfoot and next month he's playing in the Open at Royal Portrush. I, I thought the uh, in your piece it was the, f- the fear of having to, of the night before knowing God I can be playing in Augusta next year. Had him he turned to Joe Rogan's podcast for help. It's, it's funny I never t- listened to Joe Rogan but uh, one of my kids is always listening to so like just that age thing there uh, You'll have to tell me who Joe Rogan oh, yeah, even he's, is. He's great. There's a great podcast on UFOs up there at the moment, actually. Yeah, no, Rogan's the man. Well, I'm put sure it this my way, age, Gavin. Here, put it yeah. this way, his podcasts are long. And I okay. imagine on Saturday night, that's all James Sugru wanted was something that he could switch off and listen to for, like, some of them are two, two and a half hours. So yeah, I'd he imagine wears it down. Was just... He wears down his interview. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's funny because he, he was... He's, he wears his heart on his sleeve, you know, and he, he, he he's very honest in, in what he's telling you. Like... The other day, I think his girlfriend came up when he was playing in uh, the quarterfinal. She'd come up from Cork on the on the train, and he's one down playing the seventeen. He's just put his tee shot into a fairway bunker, and he says, uh, "God, I don't want to be sending her home in the train again tonight." <laughs> so, so he actually he made a brilliant save on the seventeen. It birdied the eighteenth and won his match at the nineteenth. And that was the sort of stuff he was doing. I was, was just going to say that was the story of his week because there were so many points in the week when you go back over it. Where this, where this would have ended with nobody having heard of James Suger out of a really tight, apart from a really the, the tight golfing community, uh, who who keep track of this stuff, because he almost missed out on uh, on the getting into the match play. He had to do something extraordinary near the end of his stroke play, didn't he? Well, what happened there? There's 288 players. Mm. Like it's it's the biggest field in golf. There's 288 players started out to play two rounds of stroke play qualifying one at the island and one at Port Marnock. And he started off with a 77 at, the, at Port Marnock on the Monday. So basically you weren't even looking at him to, to figure. But what he did was he birdied the 18th hole at the island, which was the toughest hole on the golf course, which got him into the match play qualifying. But by birdieing, it also meant that like to, to something like 76 players actually qualified, but you have to whittle it down to 64 so some players had to play a preliminary mm. round or a first round. So he avoided that by birdie in the 18th. And then when he when he got going, he got going, you know, and he had uh, to win it the hard of, way. How many rounds of match play? Well, he won six rounds of match play. Wow. but And the final was a 36-hole affair. Yeah. So. He's, he's 22. Uh, will we be seeing him as a professional? I know we're jumping the gun, but like how, how much potential does he have? Do you think we'll see a lot more of him? Well, if you, if you win the British Amateur, you obviously have a lot of potential. I think his plans were that he was looking at turning professional. His aim was to make a Walker Cup this year, which is in High Lake, Royal Liverpool. Uh, he's 
pretty much on the team. He's as British amateur champion. You're you're going to be on that team, so he's going to have to postpone the plans to turn professional because one of the caveats of winning and getting into the Masters and the US Open next year is that you remain an amateur. So he's obviously going to stay as an amateur until after Wingfoot, which is uh, next June. Uh, but the thing is, as amateur champion, like it was, it's very funny out there when you're walking the course. There's so many agents. You're seeing the guys from mm. Hambrick. You're seeing the guys from IMG. Like they're all there, and they had their eyes on Matt Fitzpatrick's brother Alex. There was guys following Tom McKibben, who's this wonder kid from Northern Ireland as well. Uh, very few, I would imagine, at the start of the week were following James Sue Group. But no matter where he now, goes yeah. now, they'll all have his number, and they'll be all. They'll be all touching him you know because he's just moved it up to a new level and uh, it was also great to see the Connor Purcells and the other guys were all there on Saturday and like one of the first guys to come up to him as he came off the green so there's that camaraderie amongst them even though they're all basically competitors against each other when they're playing individual events Do you think the enormity of it all registered with him or well, he celebrated with a pint of milk. I think we have to <laughs> photograph in the Irish Times this morning. Uh, like, that's his go-to drink, you know? So, uh, uh, yeah, but the guy has uh, his eyes flowing through his veins, you know, so. And he, and it's a, but it is almost extraordinary, like, this guy, so he's not, he's not in an American college or anything like that. He's just, he's just a, a, a come up a club golfer or plus four golfer exactly he, he didn't he didn't go through the American system yeah. which the vast majority of players do yeah. um, these days because the, the potential to get a good education just as a fallback is there but uh, his mother actually works in the Munster branch of the GUI so like okay. he's, he's been brought up in a, in a golfing family and uh He's basically he's a full time he's a full time golfer even though he's amateur. Mm. You know he does a bit of driving, delivering furniture around Cork, and uh, I say he's going to be a very popular guy if ever he's bringing a, a sofa into or a piece of furniture. Because it is amazing when you watch uh, when you watch enough golf and especially the American golf. Like there's this slew of great amateurs coming on the scene from the American uh, collegiate circuit right now. Like just last week, Matthew Wolf turned pro, Victor Hovland turned pro. Mm. Uh, Colin Marikawa, uh, all these guys coming through, and they look—you know—they just look ready for it. They look—you know—they're—they're—they're kind of hailed as the new stars almost as soon as they arrive because they all play well in the majors uh, as a result of of getting through from college golf. And like that's for 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 a lad like this to be—he's going to be one of those guys next year. He's going to be one of the amateurs in Augusta he's going to be one of the amateurs at the US Open it's going to be amazing for him now in Port Rush in a couple of weeks imagine that and it's it's just it's, it really is extraordinary for him it is extraordinary for him you know one of the first things he did was he, he was supposed to be playing in Austria this week in the European individual stroke play so uh, he pulled out of that mm. and understandably so given the week that he's just had but uh, next week then you have uh, Dubai Judy Free Irish Open in the Hinch uh, would he have been playing in that anyway? No, he wouldn't because uh, he'd be representing Ireland in the European Team Championships, you know, so that would have been his priority, right. you know. So uh, he he, w- he won't be in the hinge, but he will be playing in the European Team Championships. Amazing, yeah. Uh, it's a fantastic story and, um, like, everybody will have an, an eye out for him. Like, imagine imagine Mallow Golf Club next April uh, when the when the Masters is on. Imagine it's just so extraordinary to, to, to even think of. 
I'd, I'd say a lot of them are going to try and get their hands on Masters tickets anyway. <laughs> I'll, I'll be listening out for a lot of Cork voices. So, uh, no, it's, it's a fantastic achievement. And when you see someone coming from Mallow Golf Club and winning against mm. all of the top amateurs in the world, like and I didn't even mention, like, David Michelusi, mm. the guy he, he beat in the semi-final, mm. is this uh, whiz kid from Australia. Like, mm. he is touted as being sort of like the next Greg Norman or mm. Adam Scott. Yeah. Like, marked out and, for greatness. Uh, and there he, were, he there has were players in the field for, that were marked out for exactly, greatness. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And are, you know. Yeah. Just because they don't win it, they, you know. Suger was the last man standing and he was the best of them all. He was a fitting winner. Fantastic. Listen, Philip, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, thanks to Keith and Eamon, uh, who were on earlier talking football. Thanks to you, Gav. Thanks to Declan and Jenny behind the desk. And we will see everyone next week. Cheers, folks.